Hello and welcome to today's episode of Not Defined by Endo. Navigating an endometriosis diagnosis can be very tough and confusing and many of us have struggled to get access to excision specialists or professionals that truly understand the disease. So today, I'm bringing an excision specialist to us. We'll be talking today with Dr. Shaheen Kazali about how to navigate an endometriosis diagnosis, stages of endo, excision surgery, and even the process from diagnosis to referral, specifically in the UK. Remember that I am not a healthcare professional, so whatever I share on this podcast is to inspire and empower you to take control of your health and your bodies. Please always speak to your healthcare professional before making any major changes to your diet or lifestyle. With that said, let's get right to it. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank (laughs) you for having me. It would be really good to probably introduce yourself just so that the audience can know who you are. Um, Well, I am a consultant gynecologist and an endometriosis surgeon. Uh, I am based in the UK. Um, I work uh, at the Centre for Endometriosis and Minimally Invasive Gynaecology. My NHS base is at St. Peter's Hospital, which is in Surrey, Chertsey, just uh, west of London. And uh, my private practice is in London, Lister Hospital in Chelsea and uh, also in Surrey. Uh, My practice is uh, mostly focused on uh, severe endometriosis, uh, particularly surgery for patients who suffer from advanced disease and need joint operating with other specialties like colorectal surgeons and urologists. I've actually spoken to quite a few other professionals, but you're the first person in the UK that I'm speaking to. So I'm really excited because I <laughs> somehow have not been able to get to people in the UK. And since I'm based in the UK, it's really exciting because I feel like I want people that have my experience in the UK to understand, you know, what it is to have endometriosis in the UK and how to navigate the system here. So really excited and I know that everyone in other parts of the world will also learn from this so let's get right to it okay it's my pleasure yeah so the first thing I'd like to ask is um, what do you do if you suspect that you might have endometriosis so probably from your symptoms or from how you're feeling how what's the next step Okay, so uh, perhaps it makes sense to talk a little bit about um, what endometriosis is and what symptoms it causes, um, which then takes us to why it's challenging to diagnose. Um, So endometriosis is a very common uh, condition, as I'm sure you've covered in your previous um, uh, podcasts. Uh, It's a very common condition, affects around one in 10 women in reproductive age, and uh, it causes uh, painful periods, pain in general, uh, fatigue, um, uh, difficulty with uh, conceiving, fertility issues, pain during sex, pain when opening bowels. But the problem is a lot of these symptoms are common 
and not only endometriosis patients suffer from these. So for example, fatigue is a good example. You can be fatigued for a number of different reasons. You may have painful periods, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have endometriosis. So um, it also, um, it, it then raises the question of, so how do I suspect I have endometriosis? Mm. Should you go to your doctor if your periods are painful and ask to be referred for endometriosis assessment? Should you worry about having endometriosis if after a few months of trying you're not falling pregnant? And the answer is no. Um, uh, it all comes down to what's normal and what's not normal. Let's forget about endometriosis for a second. Um, it's not normal to be in such pain that affects your quality of life and your day-to-day -day activities. So it may be okay uh, or common, let's say, to have the sort of period pain that responds easily to a couple of paracetamols uh, and you can get on with your life. But it's not okay if you're missing school, if you're missing university, if it's affects, affecting your job. So first is to recognize what's not normal. So this is one example. This is not normal. Um, it's not normal to um, have so much pain during intercourse that uh, you don't enjoy it and you don't you try and avoid it and it affects your relationship that's not normal so if any of those uh, are happening to you then it's time to go and seek help and it's time to go and talk to your doctor is it going to be endometriosis maybe maybe not but at least uh, somebody needs to look into it and uh, and uh, make sure that you're receiving the care that you need so how should, would you say one should go about finding a specialist? So say I have all those symptoms that you've mentioned earlier. Do I just go straight to my GP or should, should I ask specifically for a specialist? How should I go about that? Well, it's different in different countries. In, in the UK, we have a referral system and uh, almost everything starts from the GP, particularly if you uh, want your care be done under the NHS, you always need to go to your GP and get a referral. Um, in the UK, there's also another rule, and that is that patient can choose where to go and who to go to. Okay. And, uh, and uh, there is a, there is a um, general rule, uh, and that's not specific to the UK, that uh, the first step in you getting better is to see someone that you trust and you believe in. So uh, more and more people are doing uh, more research into who they want to see. And um, different people have different criteria. Um, younger uh, generation now is used to um, the TripAdvisor kind of uh, system, the Amazon kind of system. So you go and look at what other people say about the doctor, what yeah. the others have experienced about each uh, particular person. But you need to be careful about that because sometimes, um, and it applies to TripAdvisor and Amazon as well, you may um, uh, look at a particular hotel and it may be an excellent hotel but for whatever reason somebody didn't have a good experience in that yeah. hotel 
and they left a bad review. But it ultimately, um, more people, the more people leave a review and talk about uh, a um, hotel in this example, uh, the more reliable the information will become. Yeah. Now, when it comes to endometriosis, we are in a way quite lucky in the UK because um, we are one of the first countries uh, in the world that uh, that um, uh, started centralization of endometriosis service. Mm. That means that there are uh, hospitals, there are clinicians that are um, putting themselves forward and getting accreditation for looking after women with severe endometriosis in particular. Mm. Uh, and that is done through the British Society of Gynae Endoscopy. So their website is bsge.org.uk. Okay. And by the way, I should uh, say a disclaimer here that I'm the honorary secretary of the BSG. Okay. But, uh, but this uh, this uh, interview and the podcast is uh, my personal um, uh, opinions and advice, not the views of the British Society of Gynae Endoscopy. So that's that's important as a disclaimer. Um, so yes, uh, as I was saying, there are um, centres that uh, um, have the criteria to become endometriosis centre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they submit their data on a yearly basis of how their patients are doing, how many operations they've done, what kind of operation they've done. They need to have a dedicated uh, endometriosis clinic. They need to have a specialist nurse. They need to have colorectal surgeon, mm-hmm. urologists working with them. Uh, so that would be, in my opinion, the, the, the first step. Okay, so this means that for people in the UK, it's like it's possible for you to actually go to the BSG and find a specialist that you're interested in and reach out to them directly. Yes, but that's if you need to be treated in a BSG and endometriosis center. So let me expand on that uh, a little bit. So um, we think something around one and a half million women in the UK suffer from endometriosis. There are only 50 endometriosis centers in the country. Those 50 centers are not going to be able to look after all of those women. And they don't actually need to look after all those women uh, because most of that one and a half million women um, either won't need surgery or if they do need surgery it's not going to be very complex surgery yeah so it it will be something that a general gynecologist should be able to deal with having said that um, for someone um, who doesn't know what kind of uh, severity of endometriosis they have there is still a choice they may choose to go to Uh, an endometriosis center and see someone who specializes in the field. Um, But uh, most GPs, because they need to um, make sure that they don't inundate the endometriosis services with all the endometriosis patients, may choose to send you to your local hospital to be assessed. And a general gynecologist may see you. They may not have a particular interest in endometriosis, but they are a gynecologist and they're trained. And they may assess you and then decide if you uh, need treatment in a in a more advanced level, mm-hmm. then to refer you to an endometriosis center. Okay, I see. 
interesting so talking about surgery you mentioned earlier that you may or may not need surgery so say you need surgery what kind of questions should you ask your doctor before a laparoscopic surgery what's important before Mm -hmm. yes so the the answer to that is also very general it shouldn't uh, only apply to endometriosis surgeons you know if you um, want to have any kind of procedure uh, the first question is is that person expert in that field mm-hmm. now this is where things become a little bit confusing because um, when the surgery is not particularly complex then everybody is trained to a level that can do it with endometriosis the issue is that we have one name for the disease but it comes in multiple different severities and complexities Mm. Um, the nice guidelines have uh, at least attempted to give some guidance on how to um, uh, categorize uh, different complexities and then um, recommended that uh, certain categories are treated in an endometriosis center and some are uh, treated in the gynecology center. But you're sitting in front of a doctor, say a gynecologist, who is um, uh, suggesting or you've agreed that surgery is the next best step. And my advice would be to be very frank and upfront about your real questions and concerns. For some patients, it's less important than the others, but some women, and I see that more and more, that uh, they are very direct in asking, so um, how many of this type of surgery have you done? Mm -hmm. What is your complication rate? Uh, do you consider yourself uh, someone who has an interest in this field? And then you can directly ask, do you think it would be better if you sent me to someone who uh, is an expert in this particular field? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I would say all doctors, maybe there will be some exceptions. All doctors will naturally uh, act within their competence. Mm. and expertise um, for various reasons it, it just makes a lot more sense uh, we're we're all out there to help our patients yeah. and um, for example i have been trained and i have experience in uh, performing surgeries for urinary incontinence okay, okay. so I've, I've done quite a few of those when i was training but I don't accept any patients with urinary incontinence. Mm. Um, I don't operate on those patients. Why? Because I probably do one or two, if that, of these procedures a year. It's not a particularly difficult procedure, mm. uh, but I don't do it because I think it would be much better if somebody who does this operation every day yeah. does this. Yeah. And uh, and at least in our hospital, all my other colleagues think the same way. So if they have a patient with endometriosis, they refer it to our team. If I have a patient with, uh, say, urinary incontinence, I refer it to them mm-hmm. uh, because I think the patients will be much better looked after that way. Okay, that's great. So I have a question. This one is a bit... Um... 
uh, what's the word? It's, it's, it's usually, it's in the, in the circles of, um, you know, endometriosis patients and advocates. We talk a lot about the difference between ablation and excision surgery. So like you said just now that you, obviously most doctors work within their competence, but there's a lot of, um, you know, online publications and everything about the difference between ablation and excision and how ablation is burning off the um, endometriosis and excision is basically cutting it out from the roots. And the advice and the, you know, the thought is that everyone should ask for an excision surgery. So what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on this? And if, like, how should we, patients, approach doctors in asking mm. about, you know, the difference and which one they'll be choosing and which one they'll be doing for them? Okay. So, again, I'll give you a little bit of uh, background to this. Uh, in medicine, uh, we do evidence-based practice. Okay. What that means is that we look at the available research and data the best available research and data. And then we look at the patient's expectation and we put these two together with the doctor's experience and expertise. And the three uh, factors will then decide what's the best thing to do. Okay. Now, to me, uh, excision makes a lot of sense. And to me, it does not make sense to ablate the disease. And the reason I repeat the word to me is that the highest level of evidence, the research mm. in the highest level, which is randomized controlled trials, have not really come up with an answer to this particular question. And I will touch on that a little bit more. But I always perform excision, meaning remove the disease, yeah. because we know that endometriosis is very frequently much deeper mm. than what we can see. And when we ablate the disease, which is either by uh, applying heat to it or lasering it, uh, we are only treating the superficial layer of the problem and the rest will stay behind. And um, it just makes a lot of sense to remove the abnormality uh, instead of just touching the uh, tip of it and then saying, oh, there's no cure for endometriosis. And uh, if the patient isn't getting better, that's because it's the nature of, of endometriosis. Mm. But the reason uh, that I uh, say this is a lower level evidence is that uh, when they did uh, randomized controlled trials on this, they haven't been able to show this difference with, uh, with certainty. Now, just to confuse you even more, <laughs> evidence and research come in different levels and different, uh, different um, uh, importance, if you like. Okay. When it comes to surgery, sometimes it's very difficult to run proper randomized control trials. Because imagine if I want to compare uh, excision with uh, ablation, I need to recruit a lot of women into mm -hmm. uh, the study uh, to then account for the differences in the surgical ability of the person doing it, yeah. uh, to the equipment used, to the completeness of excision, the severity of the disease and so on and so forth. 
Therefore, when I do evidence-based medicine and I see what my patients want, what my experience is, which certainly is that excision does a lot better mm. than, uh, than ablation, and then I put it together with the, with the available evidence, which, by the way, does suggest that excision is better than ablation, but only not in randomized controlled trials. Then I am convinced that excision is the right thing to do. Yeah, I see. OK, that's interesting. Thanks for that. So um, you mentioned earlier about the different stages of endometriosis or, you know, in publications and NIST guidelines. So would you say that in your practice, you, um, you know, recognize the stages of endometriosis and what are those stages if you, mm. you do use them? Well, it, it, this is an interest of mine. In fact, mm. I have developed a new uh, endometriosis staging system uh, called Venus, which is Visual Numeric Endometriosis Scoring System. And the reason I came up with this um, uh, system was exactly the fact that there is no good uh, staging system uh, around. There are some that... Um, are in use but have their own problems and i will quickly take you through some of them so by far the most used um, commonly used uh, staging system is the uh, asrm system or revised asrm system which is the american um, uh, system that came up uh, came out i think in the early 80s right. now when that came out we didn't even know what deep infiltrative endometriosis is. So that staging system looks mostly at adhesions and then superficial type endometriosis and uh, doesn't even consider uh, the disease that may be affecting the ureters or the bowel in particular. So uh, that staging system has four stages, one, two, three, and four. Okay. And in my opinion, uh, it's, almost useless when it comes to um, endometriosis that we know uh, this day and age. Um, endometriosis of stage four can be something that um, uh, may take half an hour to deal with, uh, or it may be something that will need six hours with a colorectal surgeon and urologist. Mm -hmm. um, and endometriosis stage one may mean anything uh, that uh, isn't particularly useful to know. But here we are. This is the most commonly used and people still understand stage one, two, three, four. Uh, there are others. There is a much better system called the Enzian system, which uh, um, is, in my opinion, uh, a bit complicated and it's not easy to, um, to navigate or to um analyze the data and it relies on the size of uh, lesions which in my opinion um is not particularly um uh, useful for various reasons i don't want to go into um but uh, the the attempt uh, that i've had um, at uh, uh, devising a new one is something that uh, everybody including the patient and the clinician can understand and it is um, uh, more um, like a picture, like looking at the picture, knowing which side of your pelvis had what severity of disease. Okay. Now, just, just to add to all of this is another complication, which is 
endometriosis, the severity of endometriosis does not really correspond with the severity of uh, symptoms. So you may have a very severe form of endometriosis, but not particularly symptomatic, or yeah. you may have only a little bit of disease and you may have excruciating pain. And uh, that sort of um, uh, has made things a lot more difficult because uh, uh, staging, uh, at least the attempt has been to come up with a staging that also corresponds with the symptoms. And I think that's where we've gone wrong. I don't uh -huh. think we can find a, uh, find a system that can both look at the symptoms and the surgical complexity of, of Okay. Interesting. I'd like to know, do you have like a publication or something that I can share with the audience about your venous system? I think it'll be interesting yes. to have a look at it. Okay. Yes. Uh, I think the easiest way is to just uh, Google Venus, V-N-E-S-S, -S, okay. and my name, Shaheen Kazali, and uh, the publication will come up. Um, so at the moment, I am uh, working on a... Um, a software if you like that uh, you can enter as the surgeon enter all the surgical data and it would then create uh, all the different commonly used endometriosis staging systems uh, for both the patient and the next clinician to know um, and, and that that will take away some of the complexities of, uh, of the issue okay that's great i have another question about um surgery should one expect almost like always expect a return of the disease because we know there's no cure so should we expect a return of the disease a few months or a few years after surgery or would you say recurrence would depend on you know how the surgery was done and how effective the surgery was or is it something that surgery is almost like it's an effective treatment but you know, you're almost likely to have the disease come back. What would you say? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I have a problem with uh, with the word cure when it comes to endometriosis. You know, what does it mean, really? If you have come to me with pain mm. and I operate on you and I take away every little endometriosis that is visible or not visible, yeah. and even five years down the line, I go back in and there is no endometriosis, mm but you're still in pain, are you cured? No, no. because your problem was pain. Yeah. And I'll give you another example. Say I come, uh, I uh, operate on you, you're in pain, and I remove your endometriosis and your pain goes away. And in five years time, your pain is still uh, very well managed and yeah. maybe non-existent. But somehow somebody does a laparoscopy for another reason and they find some endometriosis somewhere. Is that a cure? So, you know, they, they, what I consider as a cure is that I have managed to solve your problem. Mm. And that means I've cured you of that problem um, as long as it takes. Now, um, should should one expect things to come back if you're talking about symptoms? No, not at all. Uh, okay. Most of our patients, in fact, will um, get better enough to get their quality of life back. Uh, some of them will tell us that their lives have changed completely and they continue to enjoy the effects of good treatment. 
but there will be some that will need further surgery or will need other intervention. And not necessarily because of their endometriosis. This is, remember, we are treating the person, not the disease. We are looking at you as a person. We look at what problems you have and we try and address those. Um, so answering your question, no, in uh, most patients, uh, appropriate treatment, which can include surgery, can lead to long-term relief from the symptoms. Okay, that's good to know. Um, what other, I'll say, traditional and non-traditional approaches, so outside of surgery, to managing quality of life have you applied for your patients and have seen results from yes so um it's very difficult in uh this field to um uh, pick the false claims and and uh, if you like voodoo practices mm -hmm. from the alternative medicine that actually works the answer i always give to my patients is if something works for you, mm. then that's good. Okay. okay. Um, and I always say that my red line is homeopathy. You know, that is one thing that I cannot uh, digest at all. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of these uh, interventions and treatments, in fact, have some evidence behind them. Um, mm. Take acupuncture, for example. Acupuncture does work uh, in relieving pelvic pain to a degree. Um, but uh, you you need to keep having acupuncture, and that may prove costly. Yeah. Um, some other interventions like massage therapy and uh, and physiotherapy these can work too. Particularly physiotherapy, I wouldn't con uh, um, include that in the alternative medicine group. Mm. You know, that is something that we actually use. And, uh, and it can be extremely helpful and effective, mm -hmm. particularly in a subgroup of women. So mm -hmm. the answer really is that every person is different. The mm -hmm. things that I've seen most commonly work uh, are uh, nutrition, changes in, in diet and nutrition. And uh, there, is a, there is a big um, um, uh, discussion around that uh, in the community of endometriosis patients and outside. Uh, but I have seen a lot of my patients benefit from changing their diet, not necessarily because I think that makes their endometriosis better, mm. but because in some patients, there may be another problem going on at the same time as the yeah. endometriosis. And by removing some of the uh, factors that may exacerbate the pain, you are going to help yourself anyway, and you're going to be healthier anyway, and therefore that can only do good. Yeah, I think that reminds me of this, um, I'll call it like it's like another condition, so SIBO, so small intestine bacterial overgrowth. There's been some, um, you know, articles and publications and all of that saying that there's, you know, a relationship between endometriosis and I think almost a hundred percent of people that had endometriosis. I don't know how big the study was, um, had small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And I think that kind of had to do with the whole nutrition thing. And, you know, people should also look into that if they have endometriosis. So, mm. yeah, so I guess you yeah, just 
yeah. yeah that's that's another um very important point that you're bringing up um the relationship between endometriosis and various uh, conditions. Um, again, you need to be cautious when you interpret studies that have looked into that. Unless you base these conclusions on very large population-based studies, and I'm talking about millions of mm. people in the study, you cannot really draw a conclusion because um, it's very easy we, to look at the data and analyze it in various different ways yeah. to get uh, some relationship. Uh, we um, have, um, have a uh, saying, um, uh, that if you torture data, data will confess. Uh, and I know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes, and that's that's your area of expertise, yes. as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's true. The you might you yes. can tw almost twist data in a way that yes. you want to please you, you. You know your purpose. Yes. And it doesn't, it's not the same as being, uh, I don't know, uh, manufacturing data or mm. lying or changing things. But depending on the type of uh, uh, statistical analysis you use, what exactly you ask, and do you have a reason to ask that question, yeah. you may get answers that may not be particularly correct or helpful. Yeah, very true. Okay, so I have a final question about you know endometriosis and this one is about ascites so many of us say oh i've got endo belly i've got the bloat um you know it's big now it was you know small two minutes ago and all of that um but i've recently seen that a lot of people are saying oh my tummy is always i always look like i'm five months pregnant and um some of us have been um actually diagnosed with endometriosis related ascites um, so how common would you say this is and, you know, how often have you come across this and mm. what, what would you say is the way to go in trying to treat that part of endometriosis? Because I know it's not everyone that has endometriosis that would have ascites, mm. but you know, what is the, how common is the occurrence and what's the treatment? Yes. So uh, it's not common. It's in fact a rare presentation of endometriosis. I have had uh, four patients with ascites in my whole uh, career and uh, and uh, i am a particularly busy endometriosis surgeon mm. i i treat a lot i don't do anything else uh, every day all day i'm dealing with endometriosis um so it's rare but it's there and it happens and it's very difficult to to control and deal with sometimes surgery can help to reduce the frequency of ascites uh, occurring and appearing. Sometimes it's not easy and you will end up uh, giving medical treatment to a person for a long term. But a very important point to mention is that what you were describing about uh, women's abdomen getting bigger, that's bloating. Uh, in 99% of the cases, that's not ascites. That the abdomen doesn't get better in those women mm. because of ascites. It gets bigger for various different reasons, but one of them is uh, that the uh, m muscle of the intestine uh, will have a slower uh, movement, and it becomes therefore. Um, uh, 
not inflamed, but it becomes bigger. It becomes distended. Mm. And therefore, the inside of the bowel is distended. Now, if you consider that you have around six meters of bowel inside you, Mm. even a little bit of distension in in the lumen of the bowel can cause a very significant change in the size. And that's a very common symptom, again, of endometriosis, but not just endometriosis. Women um, with premenstrual tension or even in normal women, we can see that usually in the second half of the cycle. Okay, I see. Right. So do you have any like last or final advice for patients suffering from endometriosis? Because I know you, like you said, you see them every day, you, you know, you've seen all sorts, you know, different types, different presentations. So what would you just mm. advise, you know, for people yes. going through, you know, this disease, regardless of what yes. stage they're at, whether they're just finding out, yes. or they're already going through treatment or, you know, they're in, I'll say, remission in quotes. Um, but what would you say? So I would say two things. One is that it's not all doom and gloom. If you uh, spend a lot of time online, um, unless you're in a particularly good group that is very closely monitored and closely administered, uh, all you hear is either doom and gloom and bad experiences from women, or you'll see um, other things that may upset you. I don't know if you want to have a baby and you can't, and you see baby pictures all the time. Um, uh, and that can sometimes be difficult to, to, um, to manage. Uh, therefore, my, my final word is, um, it's not all doom and gloom. It, people do get better, and that's a very um, uh, common uh, in fact, that's the, the rule, not the exception, mm-hmm. that uh, if you have the right treatment, and that's not necessarily surgery, but if you have the right treatment, uh, you can get your quality of life back, and that can be long term. And number two, uh, which is also in the same line that it's not all doom and gloom, is uh, uh, there are a lot of good doctors around. and. Um, uh, it's not. Uh, it's not that only a very small number of doctors can deal with this. But you need to do your research, and you need to be direct with your doctor and ask them the question: um, uh, How severe do they think your disease is, and uh, do they have experience and expertise to deal with it? And you'll find that a lot of doctors in this country and all of the world uh, do have that expertise. The number is increasing the training is getting better and people are developing interest in endometriosis a lot more than we could say maybe 10 years ago okay wow thank you so much for this honestly you were right in saying that many of us go on these groups the support groups and all you say is you know how horrible the disease is and it just feels like saying there's no cure saying there's no you know this is it's just like you're just like on a roller coaster of you know emotions mm. and like feeling really down so i'm very happy to be able to you know share what you, you know this conversation with the audience with people and help them know that you know people like you actually care about your patients and you know it's, we should just carry on asking questions searching for the right person and you know i loved what you said about that the you can get better and that's actually the rule not the exception mm-hmm. 
I feel like that's mm-hmm. what I will just put on my <laughs> on the yeah. post saying this. Listen to Dr. Kazali that this has been really good. So thank you very very much. Not at all. Not at all. I appreciate it. Okay, Daniela. <laughs> Lovely. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you are in the UK and either suspect or have been diagnosed with endometriosis, you can find the list of endometriosis centers on www.bsge.org.uk center. Find one close to you and see if you can get referred by your GP. Also, remember that many women have been diagnosed with endometriosis and have been able to go on to live fulfilling lives. So please do not give up hope. Keep learning, keep speaking out and remember that you are not alone. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to know. Send me comments or even a DM through my Instagram or Facebook page. Share with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. If you also have any questions to ask or topics you would like me to discuss, feel free to shoot me an email on info at notdefinedbyendo.com. I love to hear from you all. All of this information is in the show notes. Until next time, my name is Teniola and remember, you are not defined by endo.